This is episode one of season two of Paper Cut for October 20th, 2021. Welcome to episode 11 of Paper Cut, the Nyack Library's podcast. I'm Georgia Grandstaff. I'm Rosemary Farrell. And I'm Tracy Dunstan. And this episode, we're going to have a little clip of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow from Jonathan Kirk. Um, um, <laughs> he has an MA in educational theater. He's enjoyed full-time career as a professional storyteller since 1989, and he's performed annually at over 200 venues. Currently, he's a BOCES listed art educator offering virtual programs and workshops, and he was selected best storyteller in the Hudson Valley and has been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS Sunday Morning, the BBC, and other organizations. Um, he's the author of Legends and Lore of Sleepy Hollow in the Hudson Valley. Um, he shares secrets and stories about the Washington, Washington Irving and the Headless Horseman at Book Talks. He's earned two awards for his recording of Irving's original The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and he has seven other award-winning recordings for children and adults. I saw him perform at um, Historic Hudson Valley Cross River in Terrytown, and he was amazing, mm -hmm. so we reached out to him, and he offered to do a, a recording of the story. Um, he performs at the Historic Hudson Valley, which is the home of Washington Irving, who's the author of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, um, you can find out more about his attending one of his performances at historic at hudsonvalley.org and it runs from October 1st through the 31st advanced registrations required. I also recommend doing a ghost tour of the old Dutch cemetery which is mentioned in the story that's also a really good tour to go on. And I assume they're, they're doing the tours this year with a pandemic because they can be outside probably yeah, it's, the it's time space yeah okay cool. I'd like to do that. I've only been to that, um, what is that great pumpkin exhibit? I forget. Oh, what yeah, the pumpkin blaze. Yeah, pumpkin blaze. That's not in Sleepy Hollow. I think it's a little north of Sleepy Hollow. No, same place, same company. Oh, it's in Sleepy same Hollow. Okay. Organization. organization. Yeah, I went there a few years ago with my sister. She, she's very into Halloween. <laughs> it's her favorite holiday. And it was really cool. It was super cool. It was much, it was much more impressive and sort of insane than I expected, you know, what they, what they managed to do. So I recommend that too, if anyone, especially with kids. It's, it's yeah, kids. it's really fun. And then one time they did um, at the same place, but they have multiple sites. So they did like, mm -hmm. I think they had him speak and then they also had like a, a live production, but it was outside and you got to move around the different sites. And it was so cool. It had like historic colonial food and music and actors oh, that and whatnot. It was amazing. That sounds great. I love I stuff. I go to that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I saw that. It, I guess maybe because of the pandemic, they don't have it this year. But mm. I went like I think that October probably of 2019. And it was really good. Well, hopefully, eventually it'll it'll reappear. Uh, should I do the book summary now? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll start with the uh, a quick summary of the Legend of Sleepy Hollow itself. It's a gothic story by American author Washington Irving contained in his collection of 34 essays and short stories titled The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon Gent, which is a great title, written while Irving was living abroad in Birmingham, England. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was first published in 1819. Along with Irving's companion piece, Rip Van Winkle, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is among the earliest examples of American fiction with enduring popularity, especially during Halloween, because of a character known as the Headless Horseman was believed to be a Hessian soldier who was decapitated by a cannonball in battle. And I think it was the Battle of White Plains because he mentioned in the story in particular. Uh, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow is set in Sleepy Hollow, New York, 
which is only seven and a half miles away from Nyack in Westchester. Welcome back to another season of the Paper Cat Podcast. Last year, we started our ghosts as our scary episode, which was a lot of fun. We wanted to bring back spooky stuff to start season two. So we're talking about a local story that you'll probably heard about by Washington Irving called The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. We have a clip from Jonathan Kirk, who's a master storyteller. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, an abridged version by Jonathan Crook, adapted from Washington Irving. Along the quiet cove where the Hudson River dances into the Picantico, there wandered an itinerant schoolmaster from Connecticut. Looking like a scarecrow who had escaped from his post with a pointy snipe of a nose, Ichabod Crane was aptly named. He took on the job of schoolmaster in Sleepy Hollow. Living for a couple of weeks at a time in each of his young scholars' homes, he brought learning and a gazette of gossip into the gloomy community. By day, he used the birch branch to urge tardy loiterers down the flowery path of knowledge. By night, he sought students with good cooks for moms, for he enjoyed the comforts of the cupboard. Above all, Sleepy Hollow is known for its ghost lore, and Ichabod found no story detail too gory to hear. Soon, the schoolmaster fell under two spells. First, the drowsy, dreamy air of Sleepy Hollow also enchanted Crane to sense spirits. The whole region abounds with haunted houses, haunted streams, bewitched barns and bridges. There appears in Sleepy Hollow the specter of Major Andre, the Revolutionary War spy. And one hears the moans of a mysterious woman in white wailing before storms sweep across the Tapan Sea. The principal goblin and dominant spirit is that of a headless horseman. A cannonball carried away his head at an unnamed battle for independence, leaving a ghoulish ghost relentlessly seeking for what he lost. The farm wives frightened the schoolmaster with fireside tales of this specter whom they called the Galloping Hessian of Sleepy Hollow. The other spell beguiling Ichabod more than any ghost goblin or coven of witches was that of a coquettish woman. Katrina Van Tassel was a ripe, blooming lass known not only for her beauty, but for the bounty anyone marrying her would inherit. She was the only daughter of Baltus Van Tassel, the most prosperous farmer in the hollow. Ichabod courted Katrina as her singing master. He rolled his eyes over all the Van Tassel's abundant wheat fields and fruit orchards, imagining, one day, this will all be mine. The course, of course, to true love, as the bard said, is never straight. Ichabod's route to Katrina was more crooked than a barrel of eels. Standing between Crane and Katrina, was a burly, roaring, roistering blade known as Brom Bones. A Herculean figure, he rode like a Cossack through the hollow and presented a ready rival to the scarecrow of a schoolmaster. Brom, though made more of mischief than malice, threatened to double up the schoolmaster and lay him on a shelf. 
a clever crane never agreed to meet his challenger on the open field for a round of fisticuffs. Heavens no. This forced Brawny Bones to turn to a charivari of tricks. He tried smoking Crane out of his school, set a witch web of booby traps. He trained a ridiculous dog to howl whenever Ichabod gave the Vantassel heiress her singing lesson. Crane would not give up his suit for Katrina. Finally, things come to a head lest they'd go on this way for too long. The Van Tassels held an annual autumnal quilting frolic. Upon receiving the invitation, Ichabod cried, School's dismissed! Hair cued in an eelskin, neck stock and knee breeches, he got himself all gimmed up and borrowed for his nightly courting a sway-backed ornery plow horse named <coughs> Gunpowder. Crane, with a love poem in his frock coat pocket, rode off to woo and win Katrina right after the ball. Again passing by the Van Tassel farmstead, Ichabod imagined everything complete with cooked ducks swimming to him in their own gravy as all mine. The sleepy hollow folk, decked out in brass buttons and ribbons, sat down together for the feast. Ichabod, though exceedingly lank, had the dilating powers of an anaconda. He ate with the joy other men felt for a good smoke or a strong drink. When the ancient fiddler struck bow, the schoolmaster bounced onto the dance floor. Every part of his lanky frame moving, he jittered and figured like St. Vitus, the patron of the dance. Why this jumping with joy? Why, his partner was the desired Katrina Van Tassel. The entire party watched and clapped and urged on Ichabod while the great Brom Bones sulked. He was one of those men who believed dancing unmanly. When the tune ended, Brom set his plan to work. He flattered and cajoled the veterans into polishing up their old revolutionary war stories. Tales of sword and cannon inevitably led to stories of sleepy hollow spirits. Talk turned to Farmer Brower right after he claimed, I'm a heretical disbeliever in ghosts. The galloping Hessian bashed his brains. Brom followed with a frightful tale of his remarkable race with the headless horseman. Ichabod gasped when learning, the goblin rider vanished in a flash of fire. He cannot cross the bridge by the old Dutch church graveyard. Good night, all. Good night, all. Baltus Van Tassel broke up the revelry and all merrily rode home. Ichabod approached Katrina like Romeo, but soon returned to gunpowder, crestfallen. The coquette had led him on, only to send him away. The night along the Hudson looked as lonely as the rejected Master Crane. The forlorn schoolmaster felt the crickets and owls turn into spooks and spirits. Riding in fits and starts on the cantankerous horse, soon every blazed branch and forest creaking became an uncouth ghoul or the white lady's ghost. 
Near the haunts of Wiley Swamp, Andre's capture tree spooked Ichabod. Then he heard the plashy tramp of another traveler. Who are you? Who are you? He stammered but received no reply. On mounting a rising ground, which brought the figure of his fellow traveler in relief against the sky, gigantic in height and muffled in a cloak, Ichabod was horror-struck on perceiving that he was headless. But his horror increased on observing that the head rested on the pummel of his saddle. A race against terror took off. If I can just make it to the bridge, thought the schoolmaster. The headless horseman cannot cross. Ichabod squeezed gunpowder so hard he broke off the saddle and almost popped out the horse's one good eye. Ha-ha! Ichabod reached the church bridge first. He turned to assure himself of the galloping Hessian's fiery disappearance, and alas, he caught the goblin in the very act of hurling his ghastly head. Shh! Quack! A shattering encounter with Crane's cranium ended the night's haunting. The next morning, Hans von Ripper, gunpowder's owner, found his horse grazing, but wondered, where is that scarecrow of a schoolmaster? No school, no school, yay, no schoolmaster, we've got no school. The schoolchildren had a holiday. The Dutch folk, however, made a startling find beneath the bridge. There, scattered on the banks of the Picantico, they spied the remains of their poor pedagogue. There was a hat, a piece of poetry scribed to Katrina, and some cried, Looky, tis Crane's brains. A few scoffed, tis but pumpkin mash. No matter, Ichabod never again was seen in Sleepy Hollow. Ah, now some claimed Crane had gone to the city and suffered a fate worse than being chased by a headless ghost. He had become a lawyer. Brahm, of course, married Katrina and always gave a knowing laugh whenever someone mentioned the pumpkin part of this tale. The wise Dutch farm wives, who know these matters best, insist. The galloping Hessian spirited Ichabod to his grave that night. And in the cove where his old schoolhouse once stood, not far from where the headless horseman rides, you can still hear the ghostly singing of Ichabod Crane. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, I don't mind starting. So, first of all, I I read this story when I was a child, I would say, or maybe it was read to me. I don't know. So it was really fun to reread it now as an adult, I guess, as it always is with anything that you read as a kid. Um, I had the really old version from the library. I think Rosemary, we figured out that it was from 
Oh, I see right now. Okay, ready? In the in the beginning of this book, it was a gift of it's hard to read because it's in the script. So the version that I'm reading, somebody gifted the library in 1964. So that's how long we've had this book. Um, and you can tell we've had it this long because the pages are yellowed and very dog-eared and there's some pencil in it. Um, but I read the illustrated version, which was really cool. Um, and I really liked it. It's not very long. Um, the you know the story that Jonathan read was uh, also you know that's the abridged version right so it doesn't have everything but I really just overall I liked it I liked reading it um, I don't know if I say it's quite a scary story though I don't know did yeah. you think it was a scary story I didn't I, I honestly wasn't that scared <laughs> I love I love ghost stories but I think there's I, cause like you, like, I think I read this when I was a kid, but I don't think I read Washington Irving's version of it. I probably, you know, had a picture book or saw a little cartoon of it on TV. It's one of those stories, like a lot of legends that you feel like you've read the original, even though, because you just know the story, you grow up knowing the story. And uh, then when you actually sit down and look at the text, you're like, oh, this is, not what I expected. Um, I think there's so much humor in it. I think that tempers the the uh, scary part at the end because Irving's the characterization of especially Ichabod is just really funny and ironic, and he's sort of like poking fun at him the whole time for his pretensions and the way he dresses and his obsession with you know, all the food that he can eat <laughs> if he marries this particular young, uh, young woman. Um, I forget her name. The, uh, the okay. Katrina, Katrina Van Tassel, which is another great name, like, because her father is a wealthy, one of the wealthy farm owners, landowners in that area. And of course, Ichabod gets pushed to the side <laughs> by the uh, like young um the younger younger guy Brom Bones is that his name Brom Bones which is all the names are awesome um so yeah the hu the humor in it tempered the you know the scary bit and you also get a sense that it was you know a giant practical joke played on Ichabod and I guess yeah. what I remember as a kid is they emphasize the more frightening aspects of the story. And the films certainly do, um, which we can talk about a little later, but um, I, I enjoyed reading it. It was it was really entertaining. I love, and George and I were looking up some of the words that popped up in it that we didn't recognize, like sort of archaic language that's used. But the, some of these words were just fantastic. Like I would love to slip them into <laughs> everyday, everyday speech if I could, because yeah, we'll sound really smart. Side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People will just feel like you pretentious. <laughs> Get out of here. But we also found out that Ichabod Crane is, um, there was an Ichabod Crane, like a real person named Ichabod Crane, right, Georgia? Didn't you? Yeah. Find that a, a general or something. I, I think when I read about it, it seems like he, he, he names all of his characters from people he's met in real life. Mm -hmm. I think that he asks them for permission to use their names. Um, so I think a lot of the characters, like the, the girl, Katrina Von Tassel, was a real person. I don't know. If they, I don't think that anybody is actually like the character that he creates, mm -hmm. but they, the names are real. And it was funny because when I was reading 
I loved the description of Braun Bones and I kept thinking that he, I was imagining him as Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Is he? Is that the exact <laughs> character that he was a big brooding man with his horse and you know that I loved it I loved the description of the characters it was funny it was hilarious honestly yeah yeah everyone was really it it was very everyone was very vivid and I could understand wanting to use the word the name Ichabod Crane again if you heard if you met someone with that name you're like oh this is too perfect it's like something out of Dickens that's what reminds me of Dickens name characters names are so evocative and and really are stand-ins for their personalities um and I just like reading legends in general because I love the combination of fiction and history and all the the place names especially being that it's across the river and I've been to Sleepy Hollow and uh, Tarrytown and the places that he talks about. So it, it's it's always fun to read story, entertaining stories that sort of teach you about the area that you live in, I think. And it's especially good if you're, you know, reading this to younger kids and give them a, a sense of the place and where they're from. Um, and also just like the fact that it's, it's such an American story, even though it's, I was, I went online and I was doing some research because like every legend, like the headless horseman, I concept or specter, you know, is peered back in the middle ages and you could see it in all sorts of different cultures as, you know, this, the past that's always trying to catch up with you that won't leave you alone or so, uh, the, the sense of regret or uh, a revenge figure that's, always pursuing humans through the ages um, and to see as it, it morphs and changes depending on the culture that takes the story and it makes it its own. So it's constantly up for reinterpretation, which is also fun. Remember that movie? That movie was awful. Do we were talking about the, you talk about the Tim Burton movie with Johnny Depp? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've honestly, I didn't see it because I heard it was so bad, even though I really, I've loved some of Tim Burton's work but he's made some real clunkers and that's yeah. supposed to be one of them. Why is it so bad, Tracy? I want to know. It's just so weird. I, it's been a while. I saw it, I think it came out maybe in the 90s, maybe? Yeah, we, or, we looked it up. It was like 1999. Yeah. The movie was released, yeah. So I saw, I saw it then and I haven't seen it again, but um, I don't think it, it, like, it's one of those things where they loosely base it on, it's kind of like the TV show Sleepy Hollow 2 where it's barely the story and it's just mm -hmm. like super weird and, Johnny Depp's kind of overacting and just didn't like it. Does he play Ichabod, yeah. I assume? And then yeah. I think Christina Ricci is uh, Katerina. Mm -hmm. Or Katrina, mm -hmm. whatever her name is. But. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's funny to read it because talking about the history thing, you or I do, I really forget that this was area was settled by Dutch people. Mm -hmm. So... He, it seems like he was making fun of them, though, the whole book. I don't know if that's just the nature of telling this type of story, sort of like a mythology story, and so you really exaggerate all the characters, but everybody seemed to be pretty, uh, like he was laughing at them. Yeah, there's definitely a tongue-in-cheek, and I could see um, how it would, I, I'm looking forward to but I wish we had a video of the storyteller doing this. Not that that would work for a podcast, but <laughs> I would love to see him do it live because that to me, I'm always 
I'm very enthralled by people who can do tell a good story in, in front of other people because I always get so nervous and um, to act it out, especially the one man, the one man or one person or one woman shows that I've seen it just always blow me away. Um, but I also was surprised to see that there was a TV show called Sleepy Hollow because I was seeing what was in the catalog. Um, and of course, it was on Fox in, in 2013 <laughs> to 2017. It's like a classic Fox TV show. Yeah. Um, and I was reading the synopsis and like said, it's crazy. It's like reincarnation of Ichabod Crane comes to the modern day world to solve a like centuries old murder mystery with the FBI. It's like uh, part of me wants to try to watch some just because I'm sure it's totally outlandish and ridiculous. But. I saw the pilot and I was like, forget this. It was... <laughs> <laughs> and it looks nothing like Sleepy Hollow too. So it's just like... Yeah. And it was supposed to take place in Sleepy Hollow, but you know, from what they obviously didn't film it there, they turned it into this whole other, other like, type of town type of village. It's much bigger, right? Yeah. It looks like it's DC a... almost kind of, I think at one point yeah. it ended up in DC. Yeah, maybe they figured, maybe they were filming in D.C. the whole time and they finally were like, you know, we got to just move the story <laughs> into D.C. Yeah, I'm surprised it lasted for four seasons, too. That's, too. that's impressive. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and there's, I noticed that there was, I mean, besides the Tim Burton and the TV series, there's a bunch of versions, like filmed versions that are geared more toward younger kids that probably emphasize this, you know, the ghost story more than anything else. Um that I I've probably seen one or two in my life just by watching too much TV as, <laughs> as a child and lots of picture book versions of it. I mean, I, I found our I read it out of a book that we have on the shelf called Stories of the Hudson by Washington Irving. So it's a collection, but it's all it's pretty cool because it's all the stories are obviously set in this area. Um, yeah. So well, maybe it's because I grew up on the other side of the river, but my schools were always obsessed with Washington Irving and this story. So <laughs> I read it a couple times. Um, I actually really like Rip Van Winkle better because I think that one's, mm -hmm. that one's really funny. Um, but this is, I thought it kind of dragged a little bit in the middle. So, but it's, it's still good. Um, but yeah, I even bought a copy of it because I always, I don't know, I always really liked Washington Irving. I think his writing style is kind of fun. And I like the, like the same with you. I like the legend and history stuff of it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they they took us on a field trip down there, I think, in fifth grade. And I think basically every Halloween we read the story in elementary school. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I grew I grew up not too far from here, but in New Jersey, so we didn't weren't as obsessed. I didn't even I don't think I even realized that Sleepy Hollow was a real place until I was older and actually was up in this area. But I know that the town of Sleepy Hollow obviously goes crazy every Halloween with all the and I think events and decorations and and um I think maybe five years ago or ten years ago they actually changed their name to Sleepy Hollow because it used to be just Terrytown and then they I can't remember what, what year it was but I remember there was a big deal they were like oh let's just change it to Sleepy Hollow oh so the Terrytown was actually that was all Terrytown and then they split off basically and became Sleepy Hollow yeah wow yeah, that's intense. I guess I guess if it's a good way to get people to come visit your town, why not? Because sure. I mean, people from all over the world would, would recognize it and would probably be really jazzed to realize it's an actual place. Yeah, because the story starts off, he talks about Tarrytown and the origins of the name of Tarrytown. And... Which I love. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. The men would hang out at the, the pubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
tarrying behind when they were supposed to be busy. Yeah, yeah cause, I love that kind of stuff too. Because did you know that Mike Mike's from there? So he was explaining that that meaning to me because I didn't know either. That's why it was called Tarrytown. But yeah, he was oh yeah, I I never it didn't even occur to me that that would be the reason it was it was called that. And it's also interesting to see them talk about the Tap and Z, which is obviously what the old bridge was called. But this whole that whole chunk of the river is the Tap and Tap and Z, and that's where the bridge got its name. So all the people who are freaking out about the bridge changing its name. It's still the tap and Z, really. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah, I loved all the descriptions and everything. It's, you forget, or I forget sometimes that we live in such a beautiful area. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of nice to read about that. But in general, I feel like when I was reading this, I, I was reading it with a very cynical eye, you know, because you, you read something and you wonder what the author's like what his intentions were I don't know so you know obviously there are things they're just outdated like their description of people of you know they, they I, can I say this when he says that the negro comes to the schoolhouse or something and that's isn't that how he describes it yes so, yeah. yeah so things like that are just very obviously not not of this time um but I I found myself looking some stuff up they, he kept referencing the uh the um, history of New England witchcraft, the Cotton Mathers book, which I know I had learned mm -hmm. about, you know, way back in the day in high school, but I completely forgot about it. So I had to look it up again. And it just had me wondering why, why did he have Ichabod Crane? Like it was like the one book he owned and they kept referencing it like, throughout the story. So mm -hmm. I don't know why. It's true. Yeah. I guess maybe to show that, not well Ichabod Crane was for all his being the teacher and thinking of himself as a you know comparative comparatively learned man he was still susceptible to superstitions and getting scared and believing these fantastical stories and he also talks a lot about in the beginning when he's setting up the story how there's like a a sense of like mysticism and magic it just did the air of that place like the fact that it's called sleepy hollow it's sort of when you're living there when you stay there for any length of time you sort of get caught up in this this world of the supernatural and and almost forget about the rest of the world like it casts a spell on you so he said set up he does a really good job of setting up the setting yes yeah totally but georgia you brought up an interesting point with like the anachronisms or the things that you obviously scenes that wouldn't fly these days um, for good reason. Like there's the scene where the um, he calls the Negro comes to tell him about the party. But then there's also to me more disturbing was, I guess, when he's describing being at the party and all the um, the again, Negroes are outside watching through the windows and the way he describes them is so completely offensive. <laughs> but is of that time. I mean, it could be uh, actually, I was thinking it could, be, I was afraid it was going to get even worse. Like he was going to go off on a tangent, but um, like that kind of writing, you could not, I'm sure that's not something that's in more modern adaptations of, of the book at all. It's just part of that, the, the original story. Are you looking it up, Matthew? Yeah, I'm kind of curious yeah. if it's in this book. I don't remember that when I read it. Oh, really? I know exactly where it is in my book because of the illustrations and there's an illustration 
of the man that comes to the schoolhouse. And I think he, I, they sort of imply that he works for the Van Tassels, I think, when he, he comes to invite him to the party. Do you know what, um, oh, never mind, about chapter. There's no page numbers online, <laughs> but I could find it and show it to you. Oh, there we go. Can you see it, Tracy? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, yeah, that's Yeah, that's offensive. the guy that comes to the schoolhouse. Yeah, I mean, you, things like that are just, and then in general, the, the, you know, the descriptions of women, but then there was this line at the end and I wrote it down because I, I loved it, no matter, I, I loved it. Um, it uh, sorry for all my arms and arms. Anyway, <laughs> he was talking about, I don't know her name, but Katrina Von Tassel's mother. Mm -hmm. And she, they're talking about her and she's preparing for the party. And there's this line where she says, like, she doesn't look after her daughter too much. Um, ducks and geese are foolish things and must be looked after, but girls can take care of themselves. I love that. <laughs> but then I thought, okay, maybe Washington Irving isn't so bad. <laughs> so you know, bad. He, has, he has some modern views of women, maybe. <laughs> That's a good line. I like that. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that line. I had to write it down. It's going to bug me. What? Yeah, I'm trying to find the scene I just <laughs> described, and I'm of course not able. To... Oh, when they're at the party. Yes, I think dancing. it's. I think it's at the party when when everyone is inside the farmhouse, and he describes uh, African American people outside looking in, and just the way he describes their physical features is like, ugh. it's it's like a cartoon version, like the old cartoons. Yeah. Of... I don't have page numbers, but. The, the, the paragraph starts, uh, Ichabod prided himself upon his dancing. Yeah, so they all, they all go to dance, basically, and that's when. Oh, yeah, there we go. There we go. Found it, yeah. Oh, that's where it starts, if I want to that's, that's the paragraph with the description I'm talking about. It's just short of sentences. Oh, oh yeah, here it is. Yep. <laughs> and this is, just, how old is this? I got this in 2017. Yeah, that I mean that's just part of the story, and this is something that I we deal with now. You know, going yeah. back and rereading these things. Another thing I noticed was, and I noticed it because I was looking up a lot of the words that he used, or just a lot of the references. Like he he references um, the uh, uh, John Milton poem. Let, mm -hmm. I'm going to mispronounce this, but Allegro. Alleg and I was looking at it, and I realized that. He, um, he, they're sort of, he sort of seems obsessed with referencing like uh, Greek and Roman times or they, you know, maybe just at that time, like that was what they sort of romanticized that whole mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, I feel like we don't see that so much anymore. We don't. Let me, let me write this. What did we say? So what year exactly? Oh, 1819. Yeah, so they were um, the early Federalist period. They were. They were romanticizing the Greeks and Romans back from that time mm -hmm. period. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I do love that stuff. I do. The, <laughs> the history stuff. It was fun to go back and read this and look it through. I wish it were a little scarier. Yeah. I tried really hard. <laughs> I tried to really put myself in the mindset, especially when you, I got to the part where the story, where he starts to encounter, you know, the, the headless horseman. Mm. And which he doesn't actually... Is that phrase even used in the book, the headless horseman? Probably, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I think um, so. 
yeah, I really tried to like close my eyes sort of and think about all the sounds that he was describing and everything. And it just, but then when I was listening to Jonathan's telling of it, you know, he does a really good job of, mm -hmm. of doing that. Yeah. So I'm glad I think this was a really fun, it was, I'm glad that I reread it. And uh, this is a really good idea for an October podcast. It's making me want to get into the spooky season now. Yeah. yeah. I normally yeah. do not really participate in anything to do with Halloween, but now mm. I'm kind of romanticizing it in my head and I really <laughs> want to go over there and I really want to listen to spooky stories and I want to go watch the really bad Johnny Depp film now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really want to read like a really scary ghost story right now. Yeah, something very scary. I mean, I, I, I think in another episode we talked about books that frightened us and I still haven't revisited my like dreaded Alfred Hitchcock short story collections from a child because I that used to just absolutely terrify me and the and the recording the record album of of different actors reading it that was just did me in <laughs> certain things you're like do I really want to poke that that snake with the stick <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, my um, I I'd be in the mood to watch some some good, and I don't like slasher movies. I like really like supernatural or psychological horror movies. Those yeah. to me are are much more terrifying than blood and gore, which there isn't any of that in this book either, which is sort of nice. No, I kind of wanted that. I wanted more. <laughs> you didn't want a pumpkin head at the end, smashed no, on the ground. No, I didn't. I did not. And a missing body, a missing Ichabod. <laughs> I mean, we're we're meant to understand that he just ran away, right? I guess so, because so. that embarrassment for being turned down after all his plans for his his uh, future wife, <laughs> wife to be, that did not pan out. I kind of want you guys to watch that movie and I'm curious what you think. The, the Johnny Depp one? Maybe I'll watch it this weekend. I'll make some popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> I'll report back. We'll let you know. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> For our next segment, we were lucky to be able to interview Christina Orban LaSalle. She's the director of visitor services at Sleepy Hollow Cemetery at 540 North Broadway in Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow Cemetery is the final resting place of numerous famous figures, including Washington Irving, whose 1820 short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, is set in the adjacent burying ground at the Old Dutch Church of Sleepy Hollow. Incorporated in 1849 as Tarrytown Cemetery, the site posthumously honored Irving's request that it change its name to the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. It was listed in the National Register of Historic Places in 2009. Um, so our first question is, the question in everyone's mind is the cemetery haunted. Have you <laughs> had any eerie happenings that you've witnessed? I have witnessed plenty of eerie happenings and they all can be traced back to very human <laughs> origins, uh, unfortunately. So uh, no, I would say I don't feel that this cemetery is haunted. Generally, when you think of things being haunted, it's because something bad happened to these people, and that's why they're coming back. So 
we are most definitely not haunted. We are a beautiful historic cemetery. And there are definitely weird things that happen though, especially in October, because we get a lot of, you know, uh, I would say a lot of people come to visit and some of them are definitely out there. <laughs> oh, I bet. Probably like the whole the whole crew of people that also go visit Roswell and things like that. And I'm exactly. not making fun of people. I'm just saying that, you know, that's like the nature of the game, I guess. Definitely. Definitely. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow has characters that are named after real people, even if the real people are not like their characters. And there are there families of the people involved in the cemetery in any way? Yeah. So Washington Irving, like most artists you know took a little bit of this person a little bit of that person and came up with something that was wholly of his own creation so he knew these people locally and he may have borrowed the name of uh, katriana ecker van tessel to turn it into katrina van tessel of the story but he based the personality of the katrina in the short story on the real katriana's aunt eleanor so you know he he made composite figures now many of these uh, inspirations i would say for irving are actually buried in our neighbor's churchyard so a lot of people when they come to sleepy hollow cemetery make the assumption that it's one great big cemetery but it's not you actually are seeing two cemeteries when you come to visit because near our south gate you have the old dutch church and its burying ground so everyone buried within that cemetery was a worshiper, a parishioner of the old Dutch church. And it is still an active cemetery today too. Sleepy Hollow Cemetery is a 90 acre cemetery that's non-denominational, so welcoming to all, uh, that grew up around the old Dutch church in its churchyard. But for the casual visitor, it does all just look like one big place and we're very good neighbors. So it's kind of fun when people do learn the distinction between the two. So Washington Irving himself is buried in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, but many of his inspirations, not all though, are buried in the old Dutch churchyard. Is there anyone else interesting that's buried there? Or either oh, lots of interesting people are buried in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Uh, it is it is a wonderful place to visit because it's not just for well-known people, although there are many, uh, but it's also very much a local cemetery. There are a lot of local families and, and those families come to visit some very frequently, some daily, others weekly, monthly, um, you know, which is a beautiful thing. But we do have a lot of visitors who come to meet some of the other famous people there. Uh, Washington Irving is down in the southern end of the grounds, but if you come further to the north, you can uh, visit the graves of people like Andrew Carnegie and Samuel Gompers, the labor leader. So it's, it's quite interesting to see this irony in the afterlife where you've got Samuel Gompers' grave across the street from Andrew Carnegie, the titan of steel. <laughs> so. Uh, if you go further to the north, uh, you will find the private mausoleum for William Rockefeller and his family members and uh, some very impressive sculptures and monuments, uh, including the large mausoleum for Leona and Harry Helmsley. So 
whether you're a car fan coming to look at the mausoleum of Walter Chrysler or someone who's looking to meet the real Carl Schurz, because many people have been to the park in New York City that's named after him, but uh, they like to come and visit the grave too. You know, there's kind of something for everyone, I would say. We have a lot of uh, industrialists, but many artists, authors, painters, uh, theater directors, you name it. So it makes it makes a fun visit for all. But anyone who is a fan of history generally enjoys a walk about Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. You have all the rich people. Not just though. So that's we kind of joke that Samuel Gompers is keeping it real for uh, for visitors because to get up the hill to see some of those very famous mausoleums, you have to pass his grave. And so it's kind of a, a nice reminder of the workers that make that possible. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kidding, but yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a couple of questions. This is Rosemary. Uh, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow is a story based around a myth. Do you find that local residents still feel it's important to keep the story alive? Well, I would say yes, definitely. Um, after all, it was Washington Irving who gave the name of Sleepy Hollow to the area. It wasn't actually renamed Sleepy Hollow until the late 1990s. Um, after the General Motors plant closed, they renamed what was formerly called North Terrytown to Sleepy Hollow, uh, and the village took a vote on that. To this day, there are some who still uh, are not happy that the name changed, but you know it does harken back to Irving's short story, which was published in 1819 overseas and 1820 here in the United States. So I think it's important to recognize where the name comes from and what it celebrates. As you say, it is based on a legend, although you'd be surprised to know how many people call and ask how they can meet the Headless Horseman. And <laughs> it's always fun. You have to remind people that it, it is just a legend after all. If you actually see a horseman, uh, be assured he's flesh and blood. <laughs> and the horse is real too. But it's it's always a good thing, I think, to, to be reminded of, of where places and names come from and, and the meaning behind them. And who wouldn't want to embrace that? I mean, Washington Irving has a tremendous legacy in this whole area and New York as well overall. So hope they never stop celebrating it. Yeah, it's funny you say that because there's all this controversy, as I'm sure you know, on your side of the river about the renaming of the Tappan Zee Bridge, the new bridge to the, the Cuomo Bridge. Um, and it's kind of the same, you know, the same thing. Like, why wouldn't we want to keep you know, tapping Z by why wouldn't we want to keep that name? It's funny to hear that people were upset about changing the name from North Terrytown, which to me is boring. <laughs> you know, Sleepy Hollow is so much better, so much nicer sounding. I mean, plus, you know, because of the historical significance of it. But I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sleepy Hollow is definitely more evocative. And also at Halloween this time of year, they really go to town, you know, they do it up over there with the decorations and programs and events. 
So I, th- I think it's fun. It's sure. very fun. It's very fun. And I think one thing that, that the village does so nicely and all of the other historical sites and nonprofit organizations like us that, you know, kind of participate in the Halloween season is that it has a very nice and organic feel to it. So uh, it's it's not really a huge commercial thing. I mean, you know, if you come on a cemetery tour, it's a historical and educational opportunity. It's also quite fun and entertaining, but uh, it's not, you know, sensationalized or anything like that. You can visit Washington Irving's home, Sunnyside, and really feel the spirit of the author. If you go to the great jack-o'-lantern blaze run by historic Hudson Valley, you're on a historic site looking at these, you know, magical installations. So, I think it has a very nice feel to it and and makes it really enjoyable, but not being over the top. Yeah, I would agree with that. Plus anything that encourages people to reread the legend of Sleepy Hollow or maybe explore some of Washington Irving's other works is a great thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure you all as being with the library would agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Sure. And it must be fun if you're a teacher, especially in the, elementary schools around this time of year to be able to bring your kids to different, well, maybe not this year, but bring your kids to different sites and different uh, events so they can get some history with the fun of Halloween. Cause I love Halloween. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, the, it's the best holiday, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so in, in the cemetery, there's a small wooden bridge. Is it this, same one that he mentions in the book? No, no, it's not. And uh, it's always interesting when people uh, expect to see the original because no wooden bridge would would last that many centuries. Uh, So no, it's not the original. It is, in fact, reinforced so (laughs) everyone can safely drive across it. But it, it probably looks very similar to what the original one did look like. Uh, historians have estimated there were several wooden bridges spanning the Picantico River, which runs through the cemetery grounds and goes underneath Route 9 to connect with the Hudson River that's to the west of us. Um, So who knows which one was the original bridge that Washington Irving wrote about, but it uh, provides a nice scenic backdrop for people to take pictures on with the fall foliage. It's, It's a very popular spot. You can really feel the the feeling of the story when you're standing on it. And it even sounds like there are horses' hooves as you drive over it because the wooden planks kind of uh, are are rustling as you go over. So that's very fun. Okay. And uh, one last question for me. Have, have you had any sightings of the Headless Horseman or acclaimed sightings of the Headless Horseman? Well, in October, typically the Headless Horseman does ride. Uh, he often makes an appearance in the old Dutch churchyard, which is very fitting because that is where Irving says the Headless Horseman rises every night to go off in search of his head. But uh, not this year, sadly, and not last year either because of COVID-19, but hopefully he'll make a reappearance next year because it's always great fun to see is the cemetery? Well, the old Dutch churchyard dates back to uh, the the mid-1600s or so. 
uh, our cemetery dates back to 1849. And so that's the uh, oldest grave then, 1849? Well, that would be the oldest uh, burial that we performed. However, I, I say it like that because there are some older graves that were sort of, uh, you know, later acquired through, through land parcels that were added. In the old Dutch churchyard, the oldest stone that you can still read dates to 1755 because uh, nothing lasts forever, not even stone. <laughs> Over time, it flakes off or, you know, might have been obscured underground over the centuries. So um, it's a good reminder to, to make each day count because <laughs> nothing lasts forever and, and we certainly don't. You know what they say about death and taxes. Um, is there any part of the tour that's not normally open to the public or that's closed off to the public or just the cemetery in general? Is there anywhere that people aren't allowed to go? There is one place that we uh, do enjoy taking people into for uh, a glimpse of how things used to happen in the past, and that is the receiving vault, which uh, it's a little grim to think about, but what it received was was you if you happened to die in the depths of winter back when we were first founded and for decades afterwards because back in the day all graves were dug by hand and if you um, died in the you know middle of winter when the ground was frozen solid the shovel wouldn't pierce the frost layer and so the receiving vault is where you would go into sort of a temporary storage until the spring thaw. So obviously we don't need to use that any longer, but it is kind of an interesting spot and it has a, an interesting connection with a movie that was made in 1970 called House of Dark Shadows, which draws many fans to the cemetery because Dark Shadows was a soap opera in the 1960s that was extremely popular and featured a vampire named Barnabas Collins. And in the movie that was filmed in 1970, a scene from the movie was shot at the receiving vault because every good vampire needs a, a crypt to emerge from. So we get a lot of fans that love to see that. And it is quite interesting and definitely uh, has, has a spooky feel to it when you go inside. That's funny because they made a few years ago, or maybe actually not a few years ago, probably 10 years ago now, they made a remake of Dark Shadows, the movie, with Johnny Depp, I, I believe, playing him. And then he also is in the Headless Horseman remake, the Tim Burton one that they made. Exactly. Yes. Gotta love Johnny Depp. <laughs> yeah, I guess he has a, a particular fascination with certain roles. <laughs> and he plays them so well, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> it suits him. <laughs> so is there anything else about the cemetery that you think we should know? Well, I would say, please come and visit. So the, the grounds are open for uh, what we call individual visitors, meaning anyone and, and a couple of friends or their family are welcome to come any day of the year between 8 and 4.30. Uh, but please don't come after that because we do close the gates at 4.30 and there's no access after hours unless you're on one of our walking tours. But the cemetery does a lot more than just walking tours. We do a lot of special events and literary evenings and fun things like that as a way to uh, bring in extra revenue for historical preservation. 
So we are a nonprofit organization and we are an old cemetery. So you can imagine it, it does require, you know, a lot of money to keep things looking nice, to restore monuments that might be in need of repair or clean certain marbles that, uh, you know, are, are showing signs of degradation. So, so please do check us out because I know a lot of people don't think about a cemetery and the word fun in the same sentence, but it can be. Um, but it is, of course, primarily a place for, for the dead. So we do ask anyone that comes to visit, just keep that in mind and enjoy your time with us. But, but behave as if you had family buried here, whether you do or not. Yes, what we would hope that, right? Because I'm sure that, you know, you have to close this certain time because otherwise teenagers come or, you know, like things like that, regular cemeteries, spooky stuff. <laughs> you think they're okay. going to come battle the headless horseman or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the headless horseman would make a fearsome security guard, wouldn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you for answering our questions and adding to our podcast. It was really, I mean, we had a good time rereading The Legends of Sleepy Hollow because I think all of us hadn't read it since we were children, if, if at all. So um, mm. it was really fun to revisit it and to sort of explore some local history. So thank you. Thank you for adding to that. Well, thank you very yes. much for, for having me. And, and I can say it's it's a beautiful thing to celebrate the legend because one thing that that I always like to remind people who haven't read the legend is that this is a short story that has never been out of print in 200 years, which is really an astounding thing when you think about it, because there are things published, you know, a decade or so ago that are already out of print. But Washington Irving's short story has stood the test of time. And it's because it's such a great read. If it weren't it, it would be long forgotten, but it's not. So thank you for, for helping to spread the word about how wonderful the story is and Washington Irving in general. We're, we're huge fans over here of Washington Irving and Sleepy Hollow and are really glad to see the interest continue, hopefully for at least another 200 years. Yes, de most definitely so. Okay, well, thank you, Christina. Right. Thank you from us. Next episode is gonna be a memoir discussion. We'll have it more fleshed out soon, but yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and please uh, check out our Twitter, Instagram accounts at, at Nyack Library. We're at facebook.com slash Nyack Library. Our website's nyacklibrary.org. YouTube channel is called Nyack Library from Home. And our general email address is info at nyacklibrary.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Rosemary. I'm Tracy. I'm Georgia. Thank you for our recording from Jonathan. I'm not sure if it's pronounced Kirk or Kruk, but thank you. It's really awesome. <laughs> and thank you for listening to episode 11 of Paper Cut, aka episode one of season two. It's really mm -hmm. fun to do this podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, please continue to listen and tell everybody about it. We're, we're doing our best here. It's a lot of fun to do these podcasts. So. <laughs> I hope you guys like it too.